Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Hey everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Go Forth and Golf. I'm your host, Steve Goforth, PGA professional at Willow Creek Golf Club. Thank you so much for pushing that play button yet again. Episode number 11 coming at you. Got some really good things that I'm going to talk about in this episode. I hope it's inspiring you. I hope it's educating you. I hope it is entertaining you. That was the whole purpose from the day one, and I mentioned that, and I hope it's doing that for you each and every episode that I bring to you. So again, Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Cannot thank you enough. In this episode, I'm going to talk about some really cool stuff. Number one, course and slope rating. What in the world do those numbers mean on the scorecard? What is course rating? What is slope rating? You've probably seen these numbers and not sure what they mean. How does it help you? How does it help your golf game? How does it help your handicap? I'm going to explain all of that to you in this episode. Even if you know what course rating and slope rating may be, That's okay. Listen anyway, because you may pick up on some tips or learn something new with what I'm going to talk about. I'm also going to talk about how to read greens better. I see the struggle all the time with students, and I want to help all of you read greens better. I'm going to give you a lot of great tips on making that process better for you and making that process work for you to make more putts. That's the whole name of the game, right? We're going to make more putts. Reading the greens properly will definitely help bring those scores down. And finally, I have a great interview with Laura Maurer. Laura is a first tee coach, and she does so many other things in the community for the game of golf. So you don't want to miss this wonderful interview I do with Laura, talking about her experiences in the game, talking about how she helps our community through the game of golf. It's a very inspirational interview. So I hope you enjoy that interview with Laura, because I know I really enjoy speaking with her and learning all the wonderful things that she's doing for our community, and for the game of golf. Before we jump into this episode, I thought I'd talk about my predictions. I did the bonus episode of the Masters Preview and Predictions, and I have to say I'm pretty proud of myself. I think I did pretty decent, considering it was my first prediction show, my first um, glimpse, I guess, into a major tournament with this podcast anyway. And some of my picks didn't do so good. Obviously, one of them being DeChambeau. I had him picked as the favorite. I think most people did, unfortunately, come in tied for 34th. But a lot of other guys I had in my top 10 did really well. One of those, of course, was Dustin Johnson. So congratulations to Dustin Johnson for becoming the Masters champion. Well-deserved. It was so great to see him and how he reacted afterwards. You could tell how much it meant to him and how special that moment was for him. So, again, congratulations to Dustin well-deserved. He's worked hard. Justin Thomas was another pick. He finished fourth place. McElroy was another pick that I made, tied for fifth. Brooks Kepka tied for seventh, along with John Rahm. Webb Simpson had a good showing, tied for tenth, along with Patrick Reed. He also tied for tenth. Xander Shoffley tied for 17th. And then the other was Tony Finau. Unfortunately, Tony, he did make the cut, but he tied for 38th. So DeChambeau and Finau, those two I didn't do too good with in terms of my predictions. But all the others, man, I I feel really good about it. I feel good about who I picked and how how well they did. It was just so great to watch the Masters. And it was so beautiful to watch that setting in the fall. And don't know if we'll ever see that again, like I mentioned in my last episode. 
but it was just so special. And uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal come spring, come April. Good thing about this is, hey, we don't have to wait so long for the Masters to come back around. It's going to be in April. It'll be here before you know it. And uh, looking forward to that. Just again, like all of you, I think I'm looking forward to things getting back to normal. And hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later. Christmas. Christmas is right around the corner. If you're listening to this before Christmas time, I highly encourage you to come out to Willow Creek. We have great gift certificate options. You can buy something for your golfing loved one in our pro shop. And also, don't forget about my winter lesson special. It's five 30-minute lessons for only $120. That's a $60 savings. You don't want to miss out on that if you can help it. Work on that game with me during the wintertime so that you'll be ready when spring rolls around. Because no one else is really working on their game very much in the offseason. you be the exception. We'll get together and make your golf game better, I promise you. It's a great stocking stuffer, as well as certificates to come play at Willow Creek Golf Club. Also, go see our sister course up at Links to Tryon. They have a wonderful pro shop up there, and also some great gift certificate ideas for the golfing loved one in your life. And, of course, don't forget about our friends over at Golf Galaxy. Golf Galaxy has all of the latest and greatest in golf equipment and golf apparel. You will not be disappointed when you walk in there. My son Nick and the rest of the staff over there will be happy to help you with any of your golfing needs. So, again, make sure you go see our friends over at Golf Galaxy. Make Christmas a little bit brighter for that person in your life that loves the game of golf. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast no matter what platform you're listening on. Subscribe. Give me that five-star rating if you feel like I deserve it. It helps me tremendously in getting the podcast out there to other listeners or other people who need help with their golf game as well. Your support and your dedication, again, is tremendously appreciated. Thank you. Without further ado, let's jump right into episode number 11. Let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. As we all know, reading greens can be very intimidating sometimes. And I thought, you know what? Let's talk about how to do that better in this episode. So I'm going to throw a lot of tips at you today that will hopefully help you read greens better and, of course, make more putts. So let's dive right into it. Maybe. Yes, sir! It's a really good idea to look at the overall green itself. I see a lot of golfers that get fixated on the line between the golf ball and the hole, and they don't look at everything. If you look at everything, it'll kind of tell you the story of that putt, what it's going to do, the contours are in the green, which way the green's flowing, thus making the ball go in that same direction. So don't just focus on the line that you're on. Look at everything. Good opportunity to do this is when you're walking up to the green, whether you're walking from the golf cart up to the green, or maybe you decided to walk up to the green from the fairway. It's a great opportunity to see everything as a whole. And again, you're going to see the story of that putt, which is huge. I can promise you taking the time to do this will not fail you. And you'll feel a lot more comfortable when you step up over that putt because you know what that entire green is doing based on the contours or lack thereof that you're seeing on that green in your evaluation. So next time you're walking up to the green, take a look at the whole thing. Maybe walk around it if time allows for it and get comfortable with it. Read the story of the green. Therefore, you'll have a better idea of the story your putt's getting ready to make when you putt it. A lot of golfers don't think about this, but studying the lay of the land 
of the entire golf course can really help you. For example, golf balls often roll away from mountains. So if you're playing a very mountainous course, it's going to roll away from the mountains that you're closest to. And also, they tend to roll towards water. Not all golf courses have these features, so just get a good read of each hole to see what direction the ground moves. Try to find the low points on the greens. That is gigantic. If you can find the low points of the greens, that will tell you so much about what that break is going to do. Finding a low point means, hey, the ball is going to break towards that low point, and then look and see where the cup is in relation to that low point of the green. It can help you so very much. Take the time, again, look at the entire golf course. Study the golf course. If you've played that golf course often, obviously you know the characteristics of it. And just get familiar with the lay of the land, and it will help you tremendously when it comes to making that putt, reading the break, and understanding which way that ball is going to move on that green. Watching professional golfers and their caddies as they read greens can really benefit you a lot. You may learn some strategies from them that will improve your ability to read greens. For example, you've probably seen the technique that professional golfers are using when they hold their fingers up to read the green. That's called aim point. So go out and research that Google aim point. Maybe that's something that can benefit you and make you a better reader of greens. It may not. It may not be your thing. But look into that. Look into different strategies. But watching these guys and ladies on television or in person read the greens and talking to their caddies and just really observing that can help you pick up on strategies that help them or maybe you can learn from some mistakes that they're making maybe they're over analyzing something and they just can't seem to dial it in whatever the case may be always being able to observe others especially the ones that are considered the best in the world can always benefit you in one way or another Looking at the putt from behind the ball and behind the cup is equally important. I see a lot of golfers that do not take the time to walk on the other side of the cup and look at it. Just kind of kneel down behind the ball, take a good look at it, step up and putt it. But I cannot express to you enough how valuable it is to walk to the other side. I do get some students to say, well, Steve, I don't have enough time to walk to the other side. My playing partners want to play ready golf. They want to play fast. i got a group in the fairway waiting on us. I don't have time to walk on the other side. I get that. That happens sometimes. But if you had to walk from your cart over to your ball and you're already on the other side, why not stop there first and look at it? Maybe take some time to walk to the other side when we're waiting on your playing partner to chip up or maybe your playing partner's reading their putt. And uh, that just gives you plenty of time to do this. There's always time to, to do that, and it's worth the effort, I promise you. Oftentimes, what you see from behind the cup is how that putt's going to break most of the time. Now, if you're seeing one thing behind the cup, you're seeing another thing from behind the golf ball, play it straight. You can't go wrong there, and uh, you'll be surprised as to how many times that works out in your favor. It's going to be very, very close. If you've taken lessons from me, you've heard me tell the story of the blind man. When I was the golf professional at He Jazz Golf Club, there was a blind gentleman that would come out and play. His wife would bring him, and I was amazed at how good this gentleman was. And when they got to the green, he would put his hand on his wife's shoulder. They would walk up to the hole, circle the hole, come back to the golf ball. The reason why he did this was because since he couldn't see, he obviously had to rely on the sense of feel. So he could feel the ground underneath him. He could feel if it was moving left or moving right. He could feel if he was going uphill or downhill, and he was also pacing off that putt, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and he got a good feel for the distance. 
And after seeing that, I was like, you know, wow, I, I'm crazy for not walking to the other side of the hole after seeing that. And I'm blessed with my eyesight right now, thankfully, and used that to my advantage as well. But man, what an impactful story that was to see that and to see how successful he was when he did that. So I encourage you, walk to the other side of the hole. It's so rewarding, and it's going to be so beneficial for your putting game. And also make sure you look at the putt from behind the golf ball. Doesn't hurt to look at it from all different angles, but you definitely want to walk to the other side of the cup for sure. When you walk to the other side of the cup, or if you're walking to your golf ball from your golf cart, pace off that putt. Having an exact distance will help you in the long run. For example, if you pace off a putt that's roughly 20 feet, and you produce a certain backswing length that gets the ball to the hole, you'll begin to learn that certain distances will require certain putting stroke lengths. Obviously, grain and slope can affect that, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit, but you'll get the general idea and develop that confidence on how much energy to put behind that putt. And that's what it's all about. How much energy do we need to put behind this putt to get it to the hole? If we start pacing things off and we understand that a five foot putt, a 15 foot putt, a 20 foot putt, a 30 foot putt, and so on, requires a certain amount of energy or a certain length putting stroke, we start getting a feel for that and we start becoming more comfortable with those distances and how to reproduce that time and time again. So try it and just see, maybe it's not your thing, maybe it is. Pace off the putt next time, get a good idea, and then make a mental note, maybe even a physical note of how long your putting stroke was to get it to that length, and then just work on that. I would really highly advise you to do this on the putting green. You can do it out when you're playing, if you're obviously out there just playing for practice, but definitely want to go to a putting green. A putting green with a lot of size to it helps. Our putting green at Willow Creek is huge. It's a great green to practice on. But try it, pace it off, see if that helps you. I mentioned grain a little bit earlier. It's so important that you learn how to read the grain. This intimidates a lot of golfers. So let's look at it this way. First of all, if you're putting on bent grass greens, they do not have grain, so you don't have to worry about it. Most greens that you put on, especially down here in the south, are going to be Bermuda greens. So how you want to look at this is if the grass looks shiny, then the grain is with you. And the speed of the putt could be faster. And if the speed of the putt is faster, then the putt could break less. And then if the grass looks dull or if it looks a little bit darker, that means the grain is against you and the putt could be slower. And if it's slower, it could break more. So that's a general idea how to read grain. So again, if it's shiny, it means the grain is with you, could roll faster. If it looks dull or darker, then the grain is against you, putt could be slower, could break less. Practice that, see how it does for you, but reading grains can definitely help you become a better putter and make more putts for sure. All right, so the break has been determined. You know which way this thing's moving. Once you determine that, you need to have a great routine for alignment. Now, you can use a spot in front of the ball or you can use the line on the ball. For example, all manufacturers put some sort of line or arrow on their golf balls. Callaway's gone a step further by going with the triple track. If you've not putted with the ball with triple track on it, it is amazing. It's really easy to line your golf ball up with those three lines on it. Or you can draw your own line if you want to. There's different devices out there that can assist you with drawing your own line on the ball. Whatever you choose on that is up to you. You can also use your putter. There are so many different putters out there that have tremendous alignment aids on it. So use your putter to help you there. 
you're putting in all this hard work to read this putt, right? You don't want that to go to waste. Don't let a perfect read go to waste because you misaligned your putt. Find your straight line because that's the, that's what we're trying to do here. Every putt in golf is straight. It's the ground that's going to make it curve. So, for example, if you've determined that your putt's breaking from right to left, find your straight line that's slightly right of the hole, align yourself to it using your alignment aids, whether it be on the golf ball, whether it be a spot in front of the ball, whether it be your putter, or it's all three, get lined up to your straight line, make your putt, and then watch the ground curve it into the hole. In summary, I have talked about several tips that will help you read greens better, help you become a better putter. Number one, look at the entire green. That's going to help you see the story of that putt. Study the lay of the land at the golf course. Learn from professional golfers and their caddies and research different techniques out there that can help you read greens better. Look at the putt from both sides of the ball. That's a huge one. Please remember that one. Behind the ball and behind the cup. Pace off your putt. See if that helps you produce the proper energy you need behind that putt to get it to the hole. Remember to look at the grain, really, really important, and then also use a good alignment aid. Don't let that perfect read go to waste because you misaligned yourself. I want to conclude with this. Develop a pre-putt routine. It's huge. So you can just be consistent with all these tips that I've given you and any other tips that you may learn. Always have a routine. If you think of it like this, if you have a morning routine before you go to school, before you go to work, and that routine gets broken because something happened, you tend to forget something. You know, I, oh, I woke up late this morning and I forgot to get my coffee before I walked out the door. Ah, my routine was broken. So trying to always have a routine because it's going to keep you calm, it's going to keep you focused, and you are less likely to make mistakes and more likely to make more putts because you're going to all these tips or some of these tips to help you with that. Always know that you can come to me for a putting lesson and we'll go through these tips together in person on the putting green or I'll even go out on the golf course with you if we need to. I've, I've taken some students out to the, a hole that really bothers them, it troubles them, they just can't figure it out. We can do that as well. So please know I'm always here for you. Look me up, call me, and uh, we'll set up that putting lesson together. But I hope these tips help you become a better reader of greens and it will help you make more putts. I don't think you can go wrong with any of these. Use them all, use some of them, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on how much better you're putting and how many more putts you're making out there on the golf course. Good luck. Just tap it in. Just tap it in. Give it a little tappy. Tap, tap, tap a rule. If you're looking to put your golf game to the test, I have got the perfect solution for you. The USAM Tour is a nationwide series of amateur golf tournaments open to anyone that wishes to compete on the local, regional, and ultimately the national level. Their mission is very simple, to provide an unrivaled, immersive, and comprehensive tour and tournament experience for competitive amateur players of all abilities and ages. Most amateur players hear the word tour and think they're not good enough to compete. Well, I'm here to tell you that is the furthest thing from the truth. All events utilize gross scoring as players compete in different flights only against players of similar ability from their championship flight, that's the 3.9 handicap or less, to the Tiger flight, which is 20 handicaps and above, and every flight in between, they've got you covered. 
The USAM Tour operates single round and multiple round golf tournaments across the country at the best public and private venues. Tour players enjoy camaraderie and compete for bragging rights, order of merit points, prizing, and trophies at every event. All season long, points accumulate and the best players from each local tour earn their way to the national championship. How cool is that? Their season begins in October and runs through August 2021. Sign up between now and December 31st and pay only a $99 entry fee. That's a $40 savings. Don't miss out on this great deal. Sign up today. Put your game to the test. Not only will you experience great golf courses, but a great amateur golf tour as well. So don't waste any more time. Get started on a great amateur golf tour experience. Visit their website at usamtour.com. Again, that's usamtour.com. And I'd like to thank them for being a sponsor of this podcast. In this episode, I decided I want to talk about course and slope rating. These are numbers that are very confusing to a lot of people. It used to confuse the heck out of me whenever I was younger. Didn't understand what it was all about until I got into the business and I started understanding it more, obviously, at that point. I had to. And it's very intriguing. It's very interesting how they come up with these numbers and how that affects your current handicap that you're playing right now. So you see these numbers on a scorecard and you're like, what in the heck do they mean? Well, I'm going to explain them to you in the simplest way I can, yet not leaving out some of the important technical information that I think you'll find really interesting. And it's going to help you understand how these numbers are determined. So let's get ready to take some notes. Well, we're waiting. Let's start out with the course rating. First of all, before I jump into that, the course rating and the slope rating both indicate the difficulty of the golf course. They're both indicating it to two different demographics. The course rating is going to tell a scratch golfer or someone that shoots par how difficult the golf course is going to be in relation to par for the course. Now this number is an estimate of the average scores of the best 50% of rounds played at that course by scratch golfers. And that sounds a little confusing so let me back up on that for a second. So it's the average score of the best 50% of rounds played at that course. So if you had 100 rounds played at Willow Creek, for example, they're going to take 50% of those best rounds played and do an average of those 50% of rounds. This number is also used to determine a player's handicap, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more and how that affects your handicap. Now look at it this way. If that number is higher in value, that means the golf course you're playing is more difficult. There are several course ratings that correspond to the different tees at the golf course. I'm going to give you an example of Willow Creeks. From our gold tees, which is the ones furthest back, we are 71.8, so right there at par. From our blue tees, the next tees up from the gold, we're at 69.7. Our white tees are 67.8. Orange tees, which are mainly senior tees, they're 66.5. And then red tees are 67.5. The course rating is really easy to understand because the number is expressed in strokes. For example, if par at the course is 72 and the course rating is 69.7 from our blue tees, like I mentioned, that indicates that the course is easier than par for a scratch player. So if a scratch player comes out to Willow Creek and they play the blue tees, they should be shooting right at 70, which is two under par. And just the opposite, if the course rating is, say, 74.5, then the course is more difficult. And a scratch golfer is going to shoot two over, maybe even three over par at that course from those particular tees. So again, a scratch golfer should average these numbers. 
that I just mentioned. So that explains course rating. Again, a numerical value that is expressed in relation to par for that golf course. Now let's jump into what slope rating is all about. The slope rating is a value that measures the difficulty of the golf course for a bogey golfer. So like the course rating was for a scratch player, slope rating is for bogey golfers. The slope number will increase the more difficult the course may be, just like the course rating is going to increase. You want to stick with the lower course and slope ratings if you're an average player. And it's suggested that golfers who shoot somewhere in the mid-90s need to stick with slope ratings between 113 and 130. Minimum slope is going to be 55, and then maximum slope is around 155. Remember that slope ratings do not relate to strokes played like the course rating does. When the USGA first established slope rating, they determined that the set slope for an average course is around 113. Now, there aren't many courses with a slope rating that low, but 113 is still used in certain calculations in the handicap system. Keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, course rating and slope rating is used to determine a handicap index. And that's really, really important when you're going to play in golf tournaments. And then that handicap index is then translated into a course handicap for whatever course you're playing at. Let me give you a great example. If someone is playing Beth Page Black as their home course, they're clearly playing a difficult course, as we know in the history of that course and how difficult we've heard it is. So their handicap index will be much higher than, say, someone who's playing Willow Creek as their home course. So if you're playing that difficult golf course, then your handicap index needs to justify that. And again, the opposite, if you're playing a really, really easy course, no matter what that may be, your handicap index needs to reflect you're playing an easier course, and that's the whole purpose of it. Remember that handicap indexes will always be used to determine a course handicap depending on the difficulty of that course and using the course rating and the slope rating to come up with whatever it is you need to be playing at as far as handicap is concerned for that particular course. So again, slope rating is something you want to look at if you're an average golfer and look at that number and help that to determine where you should be playing, what tees you should be playing from based on the slope rating from those tees. Now I'm going to talk about how they come up with these numbers, which I think is really fascinating, and I really wanted to share this with you. So get ready to take some more notes. Before I jump into how all this is determined, you need to know that they have to evaluate each hole individually first. And there are five playing length characteristics or factors that are considered for each hole. And those are the roll, the elevation, the wind that could be circulating on that hole, the dog leg if there is one, or any forced layups, and the altitude. Between these five factors, or a combination of all of them, the overall playing length of a golf course or that hole is either lengthened or shortened from the actual physical yardage. That's really, really important because the roll and the elevation, the wind, the dog leg, the layups, the altitude, all those things really kind of affect distance, do they not? And so, so you have to take that in consideration when you figure in the overall length of that particular hole and, of course, the entire golf course. Now, in addition to the effective playing length of a course, there are 10 obstacles that are evaluated on each hole. Now, nine of these obstacles are physical, and one of them is psychological. So we always know we got to figure in some sort of psychological aspect, right? Because, as you know, this game has some psychological effects on us. 
The nine obstacles, physical obstacles, are as follows. Topography, the fairway, the green target, the rough and the recoverability, bunkers that could be on that hole, out of bounds or extreme rough, any water that could be on the hole, any trees that could be on the hole, and the green surface that is on that particular golf course. If that weren't enough, the hole is given an extra bit of difficulty under the obstacle of psychology if the rating numbers are determined that the hole plays a little bit more difficult. Now, each obstacle that I mentioned to you is given a numerical value ranging from 0 to 10, 0 being non-existent and 10 being very existent, obviously. To avoid any type of confusion, the values assigned are taken from a table in the USGA course rating guide, and these values are based off the distances the obstacles are from the center of any landing zones or targets. Now, I know all that sounds very complex, but if you think about it, you need to get that complex, don't you, to get things very precise. And I think it's so fascinating that they take all of those factors into consideration when they're trying to rate a hole and then therefore rating the entire golf course. There are other factors that they're going to consider in this as well. The width of the fairways, the distance from the center of the fairway to the nearest boundary line, to the trees, to the penalty areas, and whether any bunkers are nearby. And they're going to do this process for both scratch players, again, that is course rating, and bogey players, and again, that is slope rating. The green width, think about that for a second, and the depth, those are also measured. And the amount of water and bunkers that are surrounding that green, and how far is it to those particular bunkers or water from the edge of the green. So there's so many things that are going into the calculation of course rating and slope rating. Keep in mind, this process is repeated on every hole and every tee box. And by doing all of this, they're able to come up with that course rating for scratch players and that slope rating for bogey players. So you've listened to all this. You may be asking yourself, Steve, how does this help me? What, what good is this going to do me? Well, most golfers, when they're looking at which tees they need to be playing or which golf course they need to be playing, they're looking at the overall yardage of a course to help them determine what tees they play. That's the majority of the time. You do have some golfers out there, you may be listening to this, and it's like, I, I know exactly what course rating and slope rating is. And if you do, wonderful. Maybe you've learned a little bit extra today to help you understand that. But for those of you that have absolutely no clue what those numbers are, this is what you need to go off of, and this is what's important when you're trying to determine where you should be playing that golf course, what tees you should be playing from. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't evaluate what tees you're playing from based on how far you hit your driver. Of course you should, but not how difficult the overall course may be. I understand why people evaluate uh, the distance of a particular golf course. I get that. It's important depending on how far you hit your driver, but not how difficult the overall course may be. So next time you go into a golf course and you're new to it, or maybe it's a course that you play often, you could be playing from the wrong tees. Evaluate that course rating and that slope rating and help that to determine what tees you should be playing from, how difficult that golf course will be. And hopefully now you understand how your handicap index is calculated, and then how that translates to other golf courses you're going to be playing. If you have any questions about this, I encourage you to come talk to me about it because I'd love to hear from you. And again, the whole purpose is to help you understand little things like this that will make the game more enjoyable for you and also 
hopefully help you improve your game because you're now going to be playing from the tees that you should be playing from based on what course rating and slope rating best suits you. This game, Doc, is ain't about hitting some little white ball in some yonder hole. It's about inner demons, self-doubt, human frailty, and overcoming all that crap. It is now time for the interview section of the podcast, and I am extremely thrilled to have as my guest in this podcast, Laura Maurer. Laura and I sit down for a wonderful conversation, and we talk about all of her accomplishments so far in her very young career in the game of golf and so many other things that she's involved with. We talk about her involvement with the first tee, not only as a student, her experiences as a student, but also her experiences as a coach and the wonderful job that she's doing as a coach with first tee. She talks about a lot of the rewarding experiences that she's had thus far with those students and how that's affected her life, and also her ambition to grow girls' golf through a girls-only golf clinic that is sponsored by the LPGA and the USGA. Wonderful, wonderful clinic that does so much for the game of golf, and especially with these young women and growing the game, and also how she became involved in a terrific program called L's for Autism, which was founded by the Ernie Ells Foundation, and I can't say enough good things about this extraordinary foundation and these clinics and what it's doing in the lives of these kids and also what it does for the lives of those around them in their life. So this is an interview that you do not want to miss. There's a lot of compelling and inspirational stories that Laura is going to tell, and on top of all that, she's going to talk about her wonderful accomplishment of being recognized by Talk Magazine here in the upstate of South Carolina as one of the 25 most beautiful women here in the upstate. And they really do a great job of highlighting all the great things we talk about in this interview and so much more. If you would like to make a donation to any of these foundations, whether it's the First Tee, whether it's the Girls Golf, whether it be the L's for Autism, I encourage you to visit their websites. The website addresses will be found in the show notes and we'll also mention those websites in the interview. Your help is always tremendously appreciated, and I can assure you your donation is going to go towards a fantastic cause and will help the lives of these kids in more ways than you can possibly imagine. Thank you to Laura for coming on for this interview, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did speaking with her. So without further ado, let's head right into that interview with Laura Maurer. Laura, thank you so very much for taking time to come on the podcast. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here today to talk to you and your listeners. Well, glad to have you. So before we uh, dive into your passion for golf, let's talk about your background a little bit. You earned a degree in speech therapy from Columbia College, and this month you're graduating with a master's degree in speech pathology from Emerson College. That is very impressive. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I'm very excited to graduate with my master's uh, Speech has been a long time dream of mine. I have actually wanted to do speech since I was a third grader. And in speech myself, I always tell the story I was Lawa Mawa until I met a speech therapist and became Laura Matwer. So <laughs> that definitely uh, impacted my story and why I've wanted to be a speech therapist because the confidence that I got once I was understood across all settings was just huge. Um, and so this is my way to give back. And then 
as we'll get into with some of the golf stuff, it's been really fun to combine all of my degrees. I minored in leadership at Columbia College. And so through this golf stuff, I'm able to use that minor in addition to some of the speech therapy stuff that we'll talk about and how that's playing a part of my golf journey. That's awesome. So when were you uh, introduced to the game of golf? Actually, my dad was the first one, and I had played softball really competitively through seventh grade, and after the seventh grade season, it just wasn't really for me anymore, and I think he was just waiting and praying that I would have that one day uh, realization and move on to golf, and so he introduced me. I picked it up right away and fell in love with the mental and the physical challenge of the sport um, and actually went on to be a participant with the first T uh, Greenville at the time. Now we're the upstate chapter. Um, and then Steve, I don't know if you remember, but you were actually my first private instructor back probably in 2008. Of course I do. I remember that very well. <laughs> so that was a, a fun time. And I still actually have your note card rings in my golf bag that got me all the way through college. Whenever I would have a, a rocky round, I would pull those out. That's awesome. Well, that's what they're meant for. I'm so glad that they helped you and uh, it made a difference in your game for sure. Yes. So what do you feel is special about golf compared to other activities that you've participated in? You said you've played softball. I'm sure you've been involved in other activities. What makes golf so special? Honestly, I think everything about golf is just so unique, but there are three that anytime anyone asks me about golf and what attracted me to it, these are the top three that always come to mind. And the first is that as the golfer, you have to take full responsibility for every shot you take. You don't, even though you can play it in a team format, at the end of the day, it's your game. Right. So I like having that responsibility. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough for the bad shots, but I think I've learned a lot of life lessons from having to take responsibility for bad shots and bad rounds. But then also there's just something special about getting to celebrate knowing that it's, you know, it's you, you get to take full responsibility when it's a great shot or that great round. The second thing is that I believe golf is one of, if not the only sport that is truly inclusive, and what I mean by that is if you think about the guys and the women on tour, all the different body types and the different heights and weights and, you know, some like Bryson DeChambeau are all about the weights and then others aren't so much, but yet they're all competing at the, the highest level of the sport. So I think that's encouraging to us recreational golfers. And then thirdly, along the same lines is that there's a built-in handicap system. And so you can play from different yardages and the handicap system makes it a level playing field, no matter what your ability or your interest is in golf. Whenever you're out there playing match or stroke play, there's a chance for you to compete um, in a meaningful way, which also leads to you never know who's gonna win the round until all the cards are turned in, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, those are fantastic points. I love the fact you said you take responsibility. I mean, I tell students that, you know, there's no other sport out there uh, where you, you don't have a referee. I mean, you're your own referee, and you have to make those judgment calls and take that responsibility out there. you got no one else to blame. You can't blame a teammate. You, it's all on you, you know, and you learn that responsibility, and you also you, you learn that integrity out there, too. I know we'll talk a little bit about that as we, we talk more about the first tee and what they offer and what they teach. 
But I agree with that 100%. I love the, uh, the fact that you said it's inclusive as well. I mean, that is, that is so true. And that's what I love about the sport. Absolutely. And I think out at Willow Creek, every time I'm out there, y'all just have such an inclusive atmosphere at your course as well that I, I love it. I think you have a very encouraging and welcoming environment that leads to inclusivity and in everyone coming out, no matter what their ability or how long they've been in the sport. It's been pretty cool to see. Absolutely. I mean, we pride ourselves on that's the way it should be. And we're very, very proud of that. So the First Tee is uh, an outstanding organization. I had the uh, director of First Tee, Michael Pius, was on the podcast back in episode number six. So I encourage all the listeners to go back and listen to that interview. It's in the archives if you haven't done so already. You started out as a student and now you're a coach. Tell me what motivates you to work for First Tee. Yes. So actually, it's crazy. I never saw myself as a coach. I never, I thought college golf was the top of my golf career. And now as a first tee coach, I can't imagine having any other title. But um, my journey with first tee started back in 2008. And by 2011, I had applied and earned a spot out at um, Arizona State University for a national first tee life skills and leadership camp. And that was the first time that I truly got to see First Tee's mission as a whole. I got to meet um, athletes from all over. I actually still keep in touch with um, some of the friends that I met back, th back then as a high schooler. And at that camp, I made a promise to myself that I would always be involved with First Tee in some capacity. And that, I guess, is just how meaningful that camp and that experience was. And so there are actually two examples looking back on my whole um, experience as a participant with First Tee that really motivates me as a coach to provide the same opportunities for the next generation of First Tee participants and golfers. And the first is perseverance. So as you're familiar with, we have the nine core values and perseverance is my absolute favorite one. And I remember at that golf camp, we got putter covers that were embroidered with the nine core values. And I put it on my ping answer putter and played the rest of my uh, junior golf tournaments in high school and then went on to college. And every time I would have a hard round or it would be hot days or long rounds or lots of waiting on the tee boxes, I would look at that putter cover and perseverance would always jump out at me. And I would tell myself, okay, don't give up. And just I had coach Floyd who's still a coach with us at first tee um, and I would just hear his voice so encouraging and teaching that lesson on perseverance and that would get me through it and then I started noticing that I wasn't just thinking about perseverance on the golf course I was thinking about it when there were challenging demands at school or in a social setting or anything and I totally attribute that to first tee and then secondly Still to this day, I'm confident to go into a room, whether it's in a professional or a social setting or at the course, wherever, and introduce myself first. And of course, right now with COVID, you can't stick out your, your arm um, to go in for the handshake. But in the non-COVID world, I'm always you know, one of the first ones to do that. And I attribute that practice to the first tee as well, which I know is unique and especially for a female to be able to walk into a room with um, professional men or in a professional setting and confidently introduce themselves first. And because I know that those two experiences 
happened in my life through the first team. I'm very passionate to work as a coach to provide those same experiences and opportunities for my golfers. That's fantastic. So yeah, those core values are gigantic. That's what really got me involved in the program uh, to teach it because I could just be able to, I was able to teach those to the students and then seeing how those core values translated over to them and how they demonstrated those to me was extremely motivating. I mean, that was, it was awesome. So this is so good to hear that story from you and and perseverance in your case and how that was a huge motivator for you and how it got you through so much. Absolutely. And uh, like you're saying, from a, a coaching perspective, it's been neat to now see it on, on the other side and how it is motivating as a coach to see these core values come to life in your participants. Sure. So as a coach, you've been a coach for a while. Do you have uh, a favorite experience or story as a coach? You know, I'm, I'm sure I could fill up all the time telling stories because there are just so many. And really, since I have the unique opportunity of working with kids, both in the speech therapy world and the golf world, I think the biggest compliment is always whenever a kid's eyes light up, like the light bulb moment has just hit, maybe they've hit that perfect shot or you know, they finally have chipped it within the hula hoop or whatever. And they just look at you with, with that pride because it's a skill you've been working on. But overall, I think my favorite just experience in general coaching with first team is seeing and reflecting back on the growth that the whole chapter has had, but specifically out at your course at Willow Creek within even just the small three years I've been coaching out there. Thinking back, starting in spring of 2018, we had one player class and it was co-ed. I was the lead coach and we had 12 kids. And now this past fall, despite the pandemic and that affecting everything, we have had three player classes and we had a girls only class that had 25 with a wait list. The two co-ed classes combined had over 30 kids with a wait list. And uh, we also added in an adaptive golf class that we'll, we'll speak about later, um, game on with 14. So just exponential growth, which shows me these kids are loving it. They're coming back year after year and more importantly, word of mouth is spreading. They're having a positive experience. Their parents are seeing the benefit of learning life skills through the game of golf and sharing it within their network, which is growing the program. Well, let's talk about that uh, girls only class that you had. I, I was so inspired to see all of these young women out there learning the game of golf. It was so awesome. And uh, that program is sponsored by the LPGA and the USGA, and it's called Girls Golf. Talk to me more about that. Tell the listeners about that program and your involvement with that. Yes, I'd be glad to. So just like you, I'm inspired by the whole idea and getting to be a part of it week after week. But I do have to give credit to Annalise Dybert Caldwell, who was on staff with us for many years, and she's the one that originally brought the girls golf initiative to our chapter. But like you said, LPGA and USGA have started this and they partner with local first tee chapters all across the nation to present their curriculum, which is very similar to ours, but they add in the five E's, which are empower, enrich, engage, energize, and exercise. 
And we do that through, yes, our weekly golf classes, which are only open to girls and it's only coached by female lead coaches and female volunteers. But then in addition to that golf skill that they're getting, we're creating an environment that's fun and welcoming and we have glitter craft nights and we do dress up costume parties around Halloween and movie nights and pizza parties. And so we're giving these girls almost a similar experience to something like Girl Scouts where you're coming and you're learning really important concepts, but you're doing it in a no pressure environment surrounded by a bunch of girls who like girly things, which, which has been cool. And then to see these girls turn into young women who are playing on their high school teams. And this year we had one of those girls qualify for her high school state tournament. So to see them develop, um, but start just at the girls golf level has been very encouraging. Absolutely. And then on top of all of that, just building those lifelong relationships, that's huge. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier about the adaptive golf. You also help out with an organization called Upstate Carolina Adaptive Golf. This is also an outstanding program that we're proud to host at Willow Creek. They have a program called L's for Autism, hashtag game on. Explain this program to the listeners and the tremendous impact it has in the lives of those who participate yes so this is actually a crazy story but it uh, my first introduction to the L's for autism golf curriculum uh, was back my freshman year of undergrad at columbia college i had a paper assignment called connect your passions and so i decided to write about special needs in golf which led me to research what the professional golfer ernie l's and his family were doing in Florida. Well, ever since then, it was kind of a heart dream of mine. And I thought, oh, maybe one day when I'm more successful and have my master's in speech and stuff, I'll look into it. Well, fast forward to 2019, I just started my graduate career and it was just so heavy on my heart. I thought I might die if I didn't speak it. So I went to Michael Pius at first tee and said, I would like to do some sort of adaptive golf and here are my ideas. And they came back and said, actually, um, Ls for Autism, through their initiative Game On, is partnering with local first tea chapters across the nation to deliver using evidence-based practice, which means millions of dollars of research has gone in to teach these individuals who learn differently the very best way possible and that we could host it in, in the upstate if I wanted to take lead on it. So... We started looking into that, and about three months into our journey um, of the planning phase, a smaller local nonprofit, Upstate Carolina Adaptive Golf, that serves veterans and individuals of all ages, adults included, with physical and cognitive challenges, reached out to us and said that they were interested in doing the same thing. So we decided we would be stronger if we collaborated. And uh, that definitely proved true. So we were able to host 22 adults to get trained. We brought up the trainers from Florida in February, um, hosted at Willow Creek. It was phenomenal. And then the pandemic kind of put a pause and we were able to pick it up this fall. 
And that class was absolutely incredible. We had 14 individuals ranging from age five up until 34-year-old participants. And they were learning golf, but what they didn't know is that they were also participating in informal speech therapy and informal occupational therapy and informal physical therapy all through the sport. And so by the end of the eight-week series, their moms and their dads and their caregivers were coming up to us just sharing these incredible stories how now one of them can stand and walk longer distances because of the practice they've had walking the golf course. And oh, wow. one of them has better handwriting because of all the fine motor that they've been getting in golf. And one, probably one of my favorite stories is a middle school boy who's very dear to my heart. Um, and I met him on his mom via Facebook. She saw a flyer of our program and he's an avid boy scout. He was only interested in golf to earn the golf merit badge for Boy Scouts. And um, the mom contacted me and said, is this something you could help him with? He has um, high functioning autism. So knowing your background, I think you're the only way he could maybe accomplish this. I said, absolutely. Well, not only did he get a standing ovation at Boy Scouts and receive this, uh, this badge he was working towards, he is now our most interested golfer. I get weekly text message videos from his mom that he's practicing his golf swing in their front yard or in the kitchen before school. And that has now become the behavior motivation at school where um, work that had not been completed for weeks and weeks because he called it dumb and stupid when mom said, okay, it's Wednesday, you don't get to go to um, game on golf tonight if you don't do your work at school. The teacher met the mom at the car that day and said in the two years she had worked with this student, it was the best day he had ever had. Not only did he complete that day's work, he went back and completed the previous week's work that he was calling dumb and stupid, all because he wanted to come out to golf. So wow. it's, it's been fun to see how golf, again, taking what we're learning on the golf course and applying it to really impact these lives, uh, both on and off the course. What a phenomenal story. I mean, if that does not tug at your heartstrings, I don't know what will. That is amazing. And I love the fact, too, that you've integrated all these different therapies into the program, into the game of golf. And what a wonderful organization. What a wonderful, wonderful program that is. Absolutely. It is definitely if uh, I just have to put a shameless plug, but if any of the listeners know someone who has autism or any sort of cognitive or physical challenge, I really encourage you to reach out and look whether it's local to Greenville or anywhere else because this is becoming more popular across the nation. And as demonstrated by those stories, it, it truly is life changing. Absolutely. Well, you were recently recognized by Talk Magazine here in Greenville, South Carolina, as one of the top 25 most beautiful women in the upstate. Congratulations on this wonderful accomplishment. Thank you. I really appreciate that. How did you find out you won, and how's this experience been for you? I know they kind of highlighted some of the things we're talking about today in this podcast and your accomplishments, and there are many accomplishments that you have not only in the game of golf, but in life. And I'm so proud that they highlighted those for you. Again, tell me about that experience. How was that for you? And how did you find out? It has been kind of a whirlwind. Um, but the best thing 
in 2020. So I found out via email and reading the email at first, you kind of think, okay, is this spam? Is this true? I, I don't know that I deserve this recognition. But once I realized, okay, this is true. And this is a, you know, a great opportunity to spread the word. It has just kind of blown my mind ever since. So I have had the opportunity to have a few other speaking engagements and conversations uh, such as this, which I look at any time that I can talk to someone about golf and especially about golf, including girls and golf, including those that learn differently. It's just incredible because I feel like it's kind of one more knock at the wall of a stigma around the game and it's it's showcasing that this game is inclusive and it's open to everyone so i i look at that recognition by talk magazine as a big chip at essentially the wall that i'm trying to uh to crush to show that golf is for everyone sure well, clearly you're, you're doing wonderful things and not only for the game of golf, but for your community. Do you have any other aspirations for the future? I do. So I am fortunate. I'm in my mid twenties and I, I'm fortunate to have accomplished what I have so far, but I, I look forward to, and I anticipate a, a long life with full of aspirations. Um, but my top three aspirations that are constantly um, in the back of my mind is one, I definitely want to continue growing this Else for Autism adaptive golf program in addition to girls golf. But with my knowledge and now with a, a recent master's degree in the form of speech therapy, I want to grow this adaptive golf and continue creating those visual aids and visual schedules until I dream of the day that game off game on golf is like a miracle league where everyone knows the name and knows what it means, but they have no idea who started it or where it came from. Um, another aspiration of mine that we are dipping into a little bit, um, I really have a heart for siblings of those with special needs. And so as a therapist, I see that we are always giving the child with special needs attention. And sometimes the sibling doesn't understand why their sibling who has the needs gets all the attention. And it's just kind of a unique role that they're born with. And then they ultimately, most of the time, turn into the primary caregiver in the adult life. And so I would love to start a support group one of these days. And I dream of using golf um, to do so, but to bond sibling pairs with their sibling, but as well as with other sibling pairs of um, someone who might have an atypical need and someone typically developing and however that can look, but just to give them those supports and to know that they're appreciated. And then lastly, I have, again, through the magazine, I've been fortunate to talk with a publisher who focuses on uh, books published around special needs. And um, I have some ideas. They're top secret right now, but I look forward to in the future writing a children's book that is about golf and special needs and how um, those work together and how we can empower each other through the game of golf. Oh, that's fantastic. I hope I can uh, get one of your first signed copies. <laughs> you, you reserve one of those for me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. But yeah, that's something that I, uh, you don't think about when you mentioned that the siblings, the effect it has on the siblings and, 
and them understanding that attention that their uh, special needs sibling is receiving. You don't think about that. And that's a, that's a wonderful idea. Yes. Well, and the more, you know, that you're around these sibling pairs, the more you notice that it's, it's a bond and it's a kind of really a family partnership that us on the outside will never understand. But if there's any support that I can give them, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to provide that resource. Laura, before I let you go, are there any uh, websites out there that we can uh, let people know about or social media pages that can plug not only uh, the adaptive golf, but also the, uh, the girls golf? Yes, I would love to share. So the first website that ultimately will lead listeners to the rest that I'm going to mention is our main First Tee website, and that is firstteeupstate.org. Again, firstteeupstate.org. The Girls Golf website is easy. It is girlsgolf.org, and that will lead you to the LPGA and USGA's main page uh, for the Girls Golf organization. And then lastly, we mentioned Upstate Carolina Adaptive Golf, and their website is ucagnow.org. So again, it's the acronym ucagnow.org. And I would also like to share my email if any listeners know a need or know a female that might be interested, and that is l. M-A-U-R-E-R at firstteeupstate.org. And that can also be found on firstteeupstate.org. And I'll put a link to these websites in the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode, go to the show notes. You'll have links there that you can access and also Laura's email that you can access as well. Laura, I am extremely proud of you. And I mean that you are doing so many great things, not only for the game of golf, but for this community and I could not be more proud of you. Congratulations on all the accomplishments you've had thus far in your young career. Good luck with everything else you're going to go forward with, and especially that book. That is so exciting. I'm I'm really excited about that. But again, thank you so very much. Congratulations, and uh, I cannot thank you enough for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Steve. It was my pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, again, just showcase how golf is for everyone and uh, what we're doing to change the stigma. That is a wrap on episode number 11. Congratulations on completing yet another episode of Go Forth and Golf. You can now move it to the archive section of your podcast platform. I hope now after listening to the podcast, you feel more comfortable with course rating and slope rating. You feel a lot more confident on how to read greens, and that's going to help you make more putts. And I hope you really enjoy the interview with Laura Maurer. You learn more about what she's doing in the community. Maybe learning from what she's doing can maybe help you grow the game of golf more and help out in your community as well. So again, thank you to Laura for being my guest on this episode. As always, I hope you hit more fairways, hit more greens in regulation. I hope you have fewer putts. And most of all, I hope you have a great time. And before I go, I want to leave you with some words of wisdom, some words of encouragement. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing today, do something nice for someone. You can never go wrong with that. Make it a point to go out of your way to do something nice for someone today. Thank you again for listening. And remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.
You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.